Please stand for the reading of today's gospel lesson from the book of Psalms, chapter 46, verses 1 through 11, from the New International Version. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, thank you. Thank you, Matilda, for reading our passage. You give her a round of applause. You did an amazing job. I also want to say thank you to everyone who donated to our Build a Backpack campaign. We far exceeded our goal. We raised $19,000 to purchase school supplies for children and students here in our area. And that enabled us to purchase hundreds and hundreds of supply kits and backpacks to be sent out. And we had about 100 volunteers this week who helped pack those kits. And they are being sent out through our missional partners. And so we're grateful for your generosity as a church uh, to the community and to all the great things God is doing through this church and its ministries. And I also want to say thank you to all the kids and the students who came up earlier. Although it was a time for us to bless you, I want you to know that you are a blessing to us here in this church. You're a blessing to us week in and week out, your presence, your leadership, and all of the gifts that you bring. And so we are grateful for you. And my name is Jonathan Anderson. I serve as one of the pastors here. And particularly, I serve as the Director of Adult Discipleship. But this morning, I want to begin the message by speaking a word directly to the kids and the students in the room. And that word is this, that if you forget everything else and you tune out everything else from here forward, I want you to remember these words from Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And actually, I want to invite everyone here in the room, and if you're online, I want you invite you to read that with us, to declare this with me now. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And kids and students, if you memorize that verse and come find me in the weeks ahead, I will give you a little reward for memorizing it and for writing that truth on your heart. And I'm doing that because this truth is very easy for us to forget. It's easy to forget the faithfulness of God and instead to live with fear. And with back to school coming up, I often think about my first days of school. When I was a little kid, there was a lot of excitement. You know, you go to a new classroom, 
make new friends, you get a haircut and you get new shoes, lots of new activities. It was always fun and exciting, but also mixed in with that was a bit of fear. Fear of whether the kids in the class are going to accept me and like me. Fear of whether the shoes I got are out of style and they were the style a few years ago. And I had this fear in middle school and high school that I would never be able to find the classrooms in the big buildings that I walked through. And even now, decades later, I have a recurring nightmare where I'm wandering the halls of my high school and I can't find any of my classes. And the end of the year comes and I fail all of my classes. So if you interpret dreams, come and let me know what that dream means. But a lot of the fears I had growing up pale in comparison to the fears I know the students have today. The fear of the academic pressure that's placed upon them. The fear of being bullied or excluded through social media. The fear of violence and tragedy. It's easy to live with fear and to forget the faithfulness of God. But kids and students, I'll now address the adults in the room because this isn't something that you leave behind when you graduate, is it? Fear is an ever-present reality in many of our lives. And there's those fears outside of us, the fears of war, the economy tanking, whether our country is headed in the right direction or not, the fear that maybe one day our community won't be a great place to raise children. Then there are those fears inside of us. Fears that maybe we're repeating patterns of behavior that we don't like that were passed down to us. Or the fear that maybe the relationships in our lives aren't gonna get any better than they are right now. The fear that the worst thing we've done or the worst thing done to us is the most defining thing in our lives. Fear is a reality for the old and for the young, and it robs us of joy, of peace, and the ability to experience love in our lives. And this reality is nothing new. When we look all throughout the pages of Scripture, we see people living with faith and with fear at the same time. There's always this mix, and we especially see that on display in the Psalms. The Psalms are Israel's prayer book. They are prayers that Israel and individuals offered up to God, and the Psalms are full of emotions. Joy, gladness, contentment, disappointment, anger, and fear. And although these were originally songs, poems, prayers that people offered up to God. Now through Holy Scripture, God has given them back to us as a gift. And when we come to Psalm 46 that Matilda read so well just a few moments ago, what we find in there is we find many reasons that the people during this time could have been afraid. We read about the earth giving way, the mountains quaking and falling into the sea, waters roaring. We hear about nations in uproar, kingdoms falling. There are references to war, and weapons, and these are all things that would have struck fear in anyone's heart. And scholars don't exactly know what was happening in the context of Israel at this time or who exactly wrote this psalm, but really that's not important because this psalm isn't a psalm about fear. Instead, it's a psalm about the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God no matter the troubles that surround and to highlight the faithfulness of God, the psalmist points out who God is and what God has done. And so the psalmist says that the God that we worship is the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. 
And this God is always with us. And this God is for us. The psalmist names God as the God of Jacob. That is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who always keeps promises. And this God, the psalmist says, is our refuge and our strength. This is who God is. And then the psalmist names things that God has done. God lifts his voice and has power over the earth. The Lord makes war cease and breaks weapons. The Lord God Almighty has helped and will help each day as the sun rises. The words of these, this psalm actually inspired Martin Luther, who wrote our opening hymn this morning, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing. After a plague swept through Europe, killing countless people, after difficult times in Luther's personal life, he meditated upon Psalm 46 day and night, and that hymn was the overflow of his heart. But the psalm doesn't stop with these descriptions of who God is and what God has done, God's character and God's actions. Instead, something interesting happens towards the end of the psalm. You may have caught it. The narrator of the psalm changes. Instead of the person who wrote the psalm, all of a sudden, God in verse 10 breaks in and speaks a word. Psalm 46, verse 10, one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. God says this. Be still and know that I am God. These words are like an interruption or an intrusion into these words of praise that the people have been singing. But instead of seeing them as an interruption, perhaps we could see them as an invitation or a set of instructions on how we can be reminded of God's faithfulness in the midst of so many fears around us. It's as if God is saying... I know there are troubles and there are difficulties. So not only sing this psalm, recite and celebrate my faithfulness, but in order to remember my faithfulness, also be still and know that I am God. I don't know about for you, but for me, that verse, just hearing it kind of helps me relax my shoulders a bit. And this verse is what I like to call a Hobby Lobby Bible verse. Any of you ever been to Hobby Lobby? You know how they have little trinkets, little signs that you put in your kitchen that have different inspirational scripture verses on them? This is one of those verses that you see at Hobby Lobby. People put it in their kitchens. A lot of people put this at their vacation homes and they just say, oh, let's relax and be still and know that I'm God. These are words that warm our hearts but if we can be honest with ourselves this morning, although they warm our hearts, they speak to a habit that many of us don't actually have in our lives, the habit of being still. And my wife, Emily, when I told her I was preaching on this psalm, which was assigned to me, and that it contained this verse, she laughed because she didn't think I was the most qualified person to teach other people about being still. And she reminds me often of this story where we are on the final day of our honeymoon, We've had an amazing vacation where we've gotten away and we were able to relax and do so many fun things. And that final day on the beach, she is sitting in her beach chair, soaking in some final rays of sun. 
I'm next to her. I took this photo one of the last nights there on the beach. And what am I doing in my chair? I am reading the guidebook on Maui, trying to figure out how we can squeeze in one, two, or maybe three more activities before we board a flight in just a few hours. And in that moment, she had to say to me, Jonathan, you need to relax, chill out, and be still. But this is something that's hard for me to do. And I know it's, it's something hard for many of you to do. How many of you in here, raise your hand, if you struggle to be still? And if the person next to you is not raising their hand and you know that, you can nudge them. How many of you struggle with doing stuff when you need to be doing stuff? That's another group of people, but that's another sermon for another day. Being still is hard. Microsoft highlighted this. They did a study about eight years back. So the data is a little bit dated now, but they put this statement in front of 18 to 24 year olds. They said, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. 77% of the young adults said, yes, of course. And now I'm sure the numbers are even higher and they're high, not just for young adults, but for all generations. Because there are so many opportunities around us. There's so much information. There are so many things we can do. And so a lot of times we get overwhelmed, but it's not just the distractions outside of us and around us that keep us from being still. It's also what's going on inside of us. John Ortberg in his book, Soul Keeping, writes this. Being completely alone with nothing but our thoughts can be frightening. So we will use anything to distract us from experiencing the soul healing that comes in solitude. We fear doing nothing because it would mean facing up to the inner realities that distress our souls. Fear, anger, loneliness, and failure. A lot of times we stay busy because we don't want to face what's inside of us. We fill our schedules with activities and stuff and obligations because sometimes in a world that seems out of control, it helps us feel a little bit in control, which is why being still is so hard because being still is ultimately an act of surrender in a world that seeks control. Being still is the beginning of acknowledging that we are not in control. It's the beginning of acknowledging that we don't actually have the solutions to all of our problems. Being still is a practice that God invites us to take part in because it's through this practice in which God's spirit meets us and ministers to us. And now, of course, there are times that we need to get moving and we need to be busy. We are called throughout scripture to be a voice for those who can't speak for themselves, to fight against evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. James says, faith without works is dead. Yes, of course, we are supposed to do those things, but this psalm helps us get the order of things right. The psalm helps us see that we need to be still before we get busy. We need to be still before we act on God's behalf, because if we're not, sometimes we end up simply doing activities that make us feel like God. 
Sometimes we, we do stuff that God has not actually called us to do because we're not called to do everything. Sometimes when we're busy doing activities, we're not doing them for God to make God's name great. We're doing them to make our name great. And so being still before we act helps us get these things in alignment. And in Exodus chapter 14, there's an interesting story, a story you may remember from Davis's sermon series on Exodus a while back. And at this point in the story, the Israelites are very fearful. They're fearful because Pharaoh has finally relented and let them go. And so they are marching to freedom when all of a sudden Pharaoh changes his mind and sends people to chase after them. And in Exodus 14, 10, we find this. That as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Here they're blaming Moses for their problems and they're, they're probably thinking, Moses, now get busy. Tell us what to do. You got us into this situation. Now we need a plan. We need you to act. We need to do something to fix this situation. But Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Moses called them to be still before they took their next steps. To trust that God would act on their behalf. And ultimately we see God doing that. God parts the Red Sea. Then they walk through it. And as they get to the other side, verse 31 says this. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that we can take time to be still. We can rest. We can stop our incessant activity because we have a God who is always at work. God was at work in Egypt. God was at work through the life, death, and resurrection of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And God is at work in your very midst, even now. And so we don't have to try to achieve salvation on our own or somehow earn God's forgiveness. We receive that through faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross done for us. If you're like me, you don't have to, you don't have to strive and seek the approval and the applause of other people because we already have the approval of the one whose opinion matters the most. If you struggle with control, you can cease trying to control everything because we have a God, the Lord Almighty, who is always with us and for us and who is working in the midst of no matter what troubles we face. We can be still and know that God is God. And when we're still, what happens is we're, we're able to step back and reflect on the past and see how God has been faithful throughout our lives. We can remember 
that God is active in the present here and now. And when we're still, the Holy Spirit begins to reorient our focus and help us see the next steps that we need to take. Being still is hard. So if you're like me, you might be wondering, well, where do I begin? What are the 17 steps I need to take in order to be still? But if you were with us a few weeks ago, Jim Hughes, he talked about the practice of Sabbath and he gave some great wisdom that I wanna share with you again. He said, start small. Start with one minute today, two minutes tomorrow, three minutes after that. Begin to build up stillness in your life slowly over time. And then what do you do in the quietness and in the stillness when you stop all of your activity? Well, I love what Pete Gregg in his book, How to Pray, I love what he says on this verse. He says, the Latin for being still here is vacate. The very word we use to describe vacating a place or taking a vacation. In other words, God is inviting us to take a holiday, to be leisurely or free because this is the context in which his presence is known. Perhaps we might paraphrase this verse. Why don't you take a vacation from being God and let me be God instead for a change? So with this idea in mind, you might in the stillness surrender to God all the ways that you try to be God in your life. Surrender the ways you seek control. Surrender your sin. Sit in God's presence because it's there in the stillness that God's spirit meets us and begins to shape us from the inside out. So start small. Surrender. Speak to God. Search the scriptures. Let God speak to you. See that God can be trusted. Seek, scripture says, and you will find. And if you need a model for what this looks like, the person you can look to is Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus did before he did his first miracle, but before he began his public ministry? He spent time in solitude and in stillness in the wilderness for 40 days. When the crowds were pressing in on Jesus and he was doing all of his amazing miracles and great preaching and teaching, one of the things we see is that he often withdrew to solitary places to go and to pray and to sit with his heavenly father in the midst of so much activity in his life. And then when Jesus was, was facing the most difficult moments of his life, when he was looking toward the cross and the suffering that he was about to endure, what did Jesus do? Where did he go? He went to the garden. And there he surrendered everything he was thinking and feeling to God. And God's spirit met him. And God's spirit strengthened him for the work ahead. What do you need this morning? Hope? Faith? Peace? A sense of purpose? I don't know exactly what it is. 
But I know that instead of striving after these things in your life, perhaps what you need to do this morning is to sit in stillness, to be still in God's presence and know that the Lord Almighty is with you and is for you. So that's what we're going to do to conclude the sermon. We're going to sit in some stillness and silence together for just a minute or two. And after that time is over, I'll say amen. And we'll continue in worship together. Amen.